We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped gum to teeth in your throne, tiger, without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jaren Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Well, as we wind the year down, I wanted to give you a taste of what some of our future episodes will be like. Starting with Season 2, we'll provide you with three different conversations on how you can use storytelling to teach, entertain, or guide the folks in your workplace and everyday life. During our interview or teach episodes, we'll talk to creative entrepreneurs about how to reach out to your market, audience, or tribe, connect what you make to what they want out of life, and the trust, impact, and legacy that provides. For the performance or entertain episodes, we'll invite other creatives onto the show to explore what makes for not just a good, but the best stories, fiction or not, and how they compel, inspire, or drive us toward a better life. Lastly, in our workshop or guide episodes, we'll provide creatives and entrepreneurs alike with the tools, ideas, and resources they need to find their tale, make it come to life, and bring what they've learned or would share back to their tribe. And throughout it all, of course, we'll talk about why stories sell, or, if you like, drive, inspire, compel. We hope you enjoy Hi all, I'm Jared Surf, professional writer, strategist, and storytelling coach at Here Be Tigers. And here with me today is... I'm David Herman, a.k.a. Reminiscence of the Brothers Herman and host of Otter Worlds. And today we're going to do a workshop episode. It's been a while since we've had our last. Dave is mm-hmm. working on a new story premise idea for some of the games and stories he'll run. These are interactive narratives with other players in the group and with some of our fans as well. And that usually requires a bit of prep, knowing the truths about your world story and characters before the minds of other folks change what will and might happen. And honestly, there's there's an element of this that if you are in interactive storytelling, it is interactive, which means you can only prepare so much um but until the players get involved in which case now if you plan too much uh, and they decide something different through the the, their making of their characters you got to start all over again so how do you prepare instead well you do a lot of prep work in the form of uh practice of how you build and be uh, so that you can build quickly when you need to the game I'm planning on running at some point is called Monster of the Week. It's a very fun game trying to replicate your Buffy the Vampire Slayers, Supernatural, Stranger Things, Army of Darkness, all of that kind of thing. Uh, Ghostbusters, all of that. It can be. It can run from the deeply dark to the lighthearted comedy. And I don't know which one it's going to be because I don't know what the players are going to be yet. <laughs> Which is an important note here. I, I know often, and I've seen in the, in the writing groups I belong to and folks I've coached in the past too, they have this sense of the set of expectations as we've talked about in episode Days and Confused But Unafraid. That's the episode title. I just blank on the number because it's Saturday. <laughs> but yes, in that episode, we do talk about how to handle and manage your fears and expectations and when they do get in the way of what you actually are trying to write. And this is it is more readily apparent, I would say, when you are dealing with live individuals who have minds of their own, who are playing characters of their own make and sentiment and desire. 
one of the worst things you can do in in running a role playing game is to railroad, which is basically to have the story completely written in your head and not allow room for the players who have their characters and therefore their ideas of their own character story room to grow. And you know, it's the- funny though. I find folks writing plays, novels, video games, we, they all, even nonfiction to a certain extent, they all run into that same wall though. I want it to be this way. Why isn't it going this way? Because what happens when you, or I should say, is, even though you might think you know all of the truths about your world story and characters prior to the first act of putting pen to page or stylus to tablet, whatever your tool you like, when you get into the act of seeing who those characters are, what they need, want, and desire, and how they act in the moment in the story, and by character, I can even mean in nonfiction, who you were or who the other person is you're describing at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And the premise that you're narrating or defining here you have to relinquish a certain amount of control because they are a live being and they will take control and direction over where things will and may go. So how do you, as Dave was saying, train yourself to be agile in that moment? It is really amusing, by the way. I run into a lot of people who, you know, uh, just a, a theological side, you know, one of the common questions of, okay, theologically, if you have a deity who has omniscience, how can anyone have free will? He has omniscience, omnipotence. How can anyone have free will? He knows what they're going to do. And by and large, I find that the people that uh, that I hear express that are not writers and don't have a lot of writers as friends because <laughs> writers get how, despite the fact that they have complete control in theory over their universe, somehow their characters never play along. So this, for those of you who've had a chance to go to whystorystill.com slash guide, which is where I give out now the free seven great rules to writing stories that sell. This is number three, needs, wants, desires. Stories are hearts that we give someone else to like, make Mm -hmm. one that's alive. In order to achieve that, in order to have a living, breathing narrative that somebody else can experience and make a part of their own life, you need to not Think of yourself as the creator, as the deity, as the one with all the power, right? You have to let go of some of this. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how to, ironically, by discussing how to build a mythos and a narrative. Yeah. Well, and then that's the thing. So what we're going to do is what we built here today, I'm almost certainly not going to use in my game. I might. I might take pieces from it. But it's because I can't fully build yet, I can't say that I'm going to use this. But that's not the point. The point is to build it. The point is to build it on the fly and to make changes to it uh, on the fly in a way that is coherent. My philosophy, one of my philosophy instructors back in my undergrad years, loved to argue that syllogisms syllogisms were like reps. The more you did, the more agile and more durable your logical muscles were. Obviously, he was playing with analogies here. But the point stands. You have, in order to be comfortable and capable and willing to let go of the things that you feel like you need control of, you need to have that sense of competence, of readiness, of preparedness, right? Not to know in every instance what will happen, but how you'll react and allow things to be, to ask yourself what if and follow the why. That's number one on the sheet. So all of this, this method that I'm playing around with, because it's Monster of the Week, this is a single one or two line thing that was in one of the monster of the week books. There are two. So like we're, you know, uh, and it was basically the suggestion of building a mythos by choosing a dread monster of the week is all about facing monsters. So that, that's a reasonable starting point. Mm -hmm. 
choosing three ways that that dread may manifest, and then proceeding from there, assigning faces to those three ways, assigning minions to those three ways, etc. And uh, we're going to be doing that for the first part of this episode. The dread that we have chosen actually comes not from my game, but from a, uh, a treatment that uh, Jared was hand- uh, handing out, which basically, I'm not going to read the entire thing here, but it basically boils down to, okay, friendship is magic. Friendship is power. Well, what happens when the dark side takes advantage of that and, and steals it for themselves to, for, and uses their, their power? So in other words, it's the, the dread in this case is, that, uh, is of loss. It's, it's of loss of friendship. Well, I think there's a loss of friendship. There's a loss of innocence, too. The real question, or I guess the what if we're asking here is, what if the villains have true friends as well, have real friends as well, in a story where, as often we see in Saturday morning cartoons and the Super Sentai or the, the hero groups, everything is won and overcome by the power of our combined friendship. What if, after having been defeated so many times, the villains realize that? All right, let's, ta- let's take this out. So basically our dread is... The villains, uh, uh, like let, let's let's it, the dread. Let's stop referring to it as a dread. I've never actually successfully done this, focusing <laughs> entirely on the dread. What we have instead is a theme, right. uh, and the theme is is subverting the friendship as magic, not by denying it. It's still true, but we're going to choose three manifestations that subvert it. We're going to subvert it by playing. So we're taking a truth of the world here, and as an exercise, we are stretching how true it is to see what that reveals. We're going to take this what if. What if friendship is magic and the villains realize that? If both of these things are true, if the villains realize it and they're willing and able to use that as well, what happens? So, I already two manifestations occur to me. One is the one you absolutely said. Right. The villains have friendship too. So in this particular front is a team of villains that absolutely are using it. The second one is those that have lost it. In other words, those who relied upon its power and no longer can. The fallen good guys, as it were. Friendship Um, is magic. Friendship was magic. Mm. And then we need a third. Rule of three, yes. It's generally good because otherwise you just have like this this counterpoint and these are the two you're stuck somewhere between. But you you want to have three things that can be wrong. Right, you're talking in this case about an exercise or a way to a way to play with truth so that you have tension. I think this, again, goes back to what you said in Days and Confused, but unafraid. If you are unsure of where to go next, throw in a third factor that you don't have fully defined or are well, certain one, of yet. One yeah. factor I would throw in that can't be a front. Sure. I love the idea that the heroes, in this case, aren't the heroes that would have been in a standard friendship as magic. They're the, they're the foils. That would have been in there. The ones who didn't embrace the oh. idea, the rivals, but not the true bad no, guys. I've got the rule of three. That's What's your third? Point. The third one. The heroes in this vill- and villains in this case are what's left. All of the great ones have been taken away for whatever reason or purpose. They, the heroes who embodied, who demonstrated, who are deified perhaps in some aspect, who are respected for demonstrating the true power of magic, they're gone. The villains defeated by that or taken away as well. All of those who are left understand how powerful this is and are trying to survive with knowledge of that. Because let's be honest, 
the villain king on the mountain is not the one who's going to move, is not the one who's going to, in a traditional, very hero, superhero versus universe chomping monstrosity, going to acquiesce and say, oh, by the way, you know, next time I'll come back with my friends and get you my pretties, right? Yeah, no, as far as the front of the villains who do understand that friendship is a magic and do have it, what I see there is a team of well-intentioned extremists. They really are in this. They really do think they are the good guys. They actually have friendship. They don't give it up lightly. They will give it up if necessary, but only by, you know, with a true understanding of what it's worth. And that makes them more horrifying. So that's that that's what I see on that front. That also gives us our second thematic. Friendship is tragic. <laughs> you already had that line though. <laughs> yes, but yes, friend, friendship is tragic. So you got first front, like I didn't quite understand what your third front was. I, I think the first front though I, uh, is clearly the, the the villains that really do understand that friendship is magic. The second front is the 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 former hero um who is lashing out because they know it and no longer have friendship. They just have the power it once gave them. The third front and this is something that becomes truer and truer over the course of the narrative, is the understanding, this actually goes back, and I'll have to fish this out perhaps for the show notes, of a choice that I faced in a, a narrative I played a while back where you could either become part of the force that held the evil at bay, but only by taking part of it into yourself with the understanding that eventually it would rise again, or you could surrender that control and trust and believe that all of those around you, the people of the world you save, will be the ones to rally next time. And I think that's the tension in the third one. The heroes and the villains of yore are gone. Do we, will those who are left be enough to stop whatever happens next? So I want to, I'll turn that one on you. They understand friendship is, is magic. Here's my question. Are they trying to force the issue and make friends in a utilitarian way or are they trying to make do with the fact that they don't have it now and trust that they will have it someday? So we've been talking about truths of the story, right? Let's talk mm-hmm. the truth of the world here. Okay? I think I think the former makes more sense as a villain. I think I think the idea of trying to force friendship really plays like an amazingly with the themes of friendship is uh, is magic. I think that the latter is actually a more legitimate form of what the good guys would actually be. I, I'm now seeing the villains run around trying to like grow daisies and flowers, all the wrong gifts to give to people well-meaningly, but not knowing the context in which they should give them. I'm but, seeing that, and I'm seeing a lot of trying to do what they see as good. I'm actually, you want to know what's horrifying? And what? this is going to turn this really dark. I am seeing, <laughs> a, I'm seeing a team, uh, or I'm seeing a faction of nice guys and nice girls who go around oh. doing the doing decent things for people and then complaining vociferously that no that, that, that they aren't receiving what they're supposed but to receive to your point, for it. they're performing the ritual why isn't the magic working essentially exactly and they're really horrifying because uh, of course it's the exact opposite of what friendship is you, you you don't get it by by buying it you you get it by by giving freely and trusting that it will come back to you. You're turning the villains into the Fae here, by the way. Well, the Fae, but they're also something that people have run into before. They're nice guys. They're nice girls. They're they're that horrible person who who sits there complaining that all X are terrible because 
you know, haven't I tried well enough to prove that I'm a decent that, that I'm a decent guy? One of the things that came to mind as you were talking about what sets up the situation we're now, a truth of the world, I think we have to for this exercise decide the aftermath of that great fight, of the revelation that friendship is magic, of the villain's defeat, the heroes laid low and quiet. What is the world like after that? Because that decides, I think, for us and for the people in this world how they will go about pursuing and using this magic now that it is known. I think that overall, since the influence was like a super sentai or that kind of thing, that we still have the majority of the population is the same as it always was. Mm-hmm. Um, they may know it, or, or maybe this, or maybe this knowledge that friendship is magic is it's it's not that it's hidden, but it's only been really you know, talked about in the same circles of the people who put on spandex or rubber monster suits. So it's a capital T truth in some circles, but a small T truth in others. Right. It's, it's like other, like other people like understand it, but it doesn't apply to their lives or that kind of thing. But certainly it's it's, like flat earth theory. (laughs) More more widespread than that. I'm thinking it's more along the lines of, um, it's kind of in the same, like, imagine like in a, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know how there are a lot of, like, not regular people, regular people don't like play around in occult circles and look at magic books. But in the show, there's lots of different communities that do. So in this case, the, you know, among the, the various communities that um, are active, and let's be fair here, in any kind of show sense, or in, in most forms of, you know, a writing or that kind of thing, the, that just means people who have the, the, the potential to be protagonists. It doesn't mean that other people sure. are less. It's just the people who are interesting, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that, I think that there definitely was some kind of climactic fight. I think that that climactic fight took out the majority of the old bad guys and took out the majority of the old good guys. I think that front number two is one of the remaining good guys. Okay. So what we have here is, True to the norms of the genre, if we want to play, and again, for the exercise, feel free liberally to borrow from existing rules, archetypes, tropes, oh, yeah. things to help you get to where you want to go next, just to see what might happen. All right, so here's the here's the thing. Like for the next step in building the mythos, according to the monster of the week, and I and I want to go through this part because then we can turn it on its head and start applying it to other things. Sure. We now apply faces to each of the three. We have the face for the first one. We can flesh it out slightly, and that is some kind of cadre of well-intentioned extremists. Don't know what they want yet. Uh, we can come up with something, but they are they definitely are and have been friends. They, in their knowledge of friendship is magic, they may have been deliberately strengthening those bonds, but they haven't been doing it out of a utilitarian sense. They've, they've, le- they actually learned the lesson and are trying to be there for each other. Oh God, Dave, they're the comedic villain gang. They are the comedic. I think that's exactly what they are. They're the comedic villain gang that uh, that, that realized they, they had a while back in the previous story banded together just you know for safety and saved each other a couple of times. They're the ones. That, that had that comic quip at the end who looked down at their former bosses, you know, who had just been destroyed and gone, oh, what are we going to do now? I guess we'll have to get real jobs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they sat around for a while and realized, I'm not doing the, I'm not doing the minion thing anymore. What do we want? What like, and they, I think they have definitely set out to make the world a better place, but they're not, oh, you know, there's, there's no. still, yeah. Here's the truth. They've realized. Friendship is magic and it's too powerful. Yeah, it's basically 
I think that one of the things they're definitely trying to do is forge people into better friends, but it's kind of like a, on our side or no one's. Oh, it's the better friend society. Yeah. I think it's something like that. I think that, so, so then with that being our face, we then choose minions for them. I think one of the key things here, monster of the week is the one where at the end of every adventure, the monster either succeeds and gets away or, uh, or dies. This runs counter. These guys do not play pawns. Well, they do. They, the pawns that they play, mm-hmm. if, if all friendship has to be on their terms, anyone who's actually one of their friends, they are not going to spend. So they're going to do everything in their power to make sure they survive. But anyone who has been resisting them, they're going to feed into the thresher. So they're going to tend to send monsters that do not agree with them towards the players. They're going to send, uh, they're, they're basically weeding out the competition. This goes way, way back to my childhood, back to D&D 2nd Edition. But there was a setting called Planescape where all the multiple realms of existence could be traveled and explored. And there was a society called the Harmonium, who is a faction. They, they And talk about truths of the story, the world, and the characters. One of the truths of Planescape was that belief is power. So factions emerged, philosophers with clubs, literally and physically to decide the ultimate truth, ultimate power. The Harmonium believed that harmony was paramount. Everything had to be in complete and utter agreement. They emerged, unsurprisingly, on a place full of strife and conflict that they conquered by, to your point, making everyone agree with them and driving out anyone who did not. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of see it doesn't necessarily have to be that militant per se, but there is a, there is a deep line here that you must cross to be considered a friend a better friend. And I, I actually think that, that when they send, even send these monsters to their deaths, they do so remorsefully because they're regretting and, and grieving the friendship that could have been. Those are would be friends could have been friends. These are still, Mm -hmm. these are an unfortunate loss. And so what I think is going to happen is their minions are going to tend to be independents. They're not going to be a theme. They're probably going to have been monsters from other villains or, or up and coming villains or or minions or that kind of thing they're not going to have a method of creating monsters they're not going to have anything like that but they 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 are essentially going to be an interview process you know they they create the monstrosity by promising the things who are monstrous a better life they absolutely do but i don't think they come in with the with that yet i think they come in individually and evaluate and try to they'll so very often these this front Sure. The monsters are going to be not members. The, the, the monsters that come from them are not going to be members, but mm-hmm. the minions of those monsters, because in Monster of the Week, minions are supporting characters for the monster, right. are going to be members because they're going to be there sort of kind of aiding the monster, but keeping it pushed on its path. Important to know from a narrative perspective here, the way, as far as I can recall, Monster of the Week defines minion and the monster, the thing that is the central focus the monster in focus, the one who gets unmasked as old man Witherspoon at the end of the episode, if you go that direction, doesn't have to be the most powerful thing here. Yeah, one of the classic, uh, in, in the actual book Monster of the Week, one of the suggested scenarios, the monster of the week is the red cap, out of, like the fae out of legend. One of the minions of the monster is Oberon. 
who is actually the Red Cap's master, but he's not a major player in the story. He is causing problems, but, you know, he, and so he, in some ways, is aiding the Red Cap narratively, but not. Let's say you did take your Super Sentai, your Saturday morning cartoon. You could have the kaiju, the giant horrifying critter, be the minion in this case because they are the one going out and trying to act, enact the will of the Better Friend Society. Right. Or so they, they'd be the minion of the Better Friend Society, but in the, in the narrative structure of the story, they would be the monster of the week, and the Better Friend Society would be the minions narratively. But not in like in the narrative structure, but not in what's actually going on. Right. So for like an episode, for a chapter, for a book, if you were to go that way, the thing that is most apparently horrifying or scary or powerful narratively could ultimately in the large scheme of things not be that significant, but it's what has the most effect, right? In the characters and the in the lives of the people you're writing or describing in the story you create here. As for the second front, the hero who has lost all their friends, but not the power per se, but they have been warped and shifted. In that case, it's clearly a former hero mm. um, and one that has fallen and, and basically is, is askew because of the tragedy. And I think the minions that they are, the monsters that, that come from this front are created. I think that they are like they're they're. <laughs> Replacement they friends are the apprentice. What do heroes do? They train the next generation. So this is the apprentice of the former heroes. This was the comic plucky relief sidekick. Yep. The, the hero needs new sidekicks to train to be new heroes. Do you, you realize that two of our fronts then are the plucky are the are the comic relief sidekicks, one of the former villains and one of the former heroes. Oh, irony is a beast. So this one's actually sitting there trying to make new friends you know trying to bring them back but like in a really like frankenstein or Gollum sort of way sure doesn't have to necessarily physically be rebuilding them but trying to mold new minds into the shape of old ones yeah so probably kidnapping people off the streets and turning them into replicas uh, you have or talent yeah basically this person is brainwashing people into being their friend but you know it's amusing here a lot of the superhero narratives you see nowadays have this as a played straight trope the secret society because you have the power kidnaps you takes you away spirits you away to where you will be trained which is totally why this guy doesn't think he's the villain because he's just doing what was already done this is this is how it's done right this is what happened to me right he's fighting the grim fight they've won I thought, you know, and here, so here's perhaps part of what leads to the twist three. He beat the evil. He beat the head. The, you're supposed to take the head of the dragon or the hydra off and you win. Maleficent falls. You get the princess, right? The hero does everything narratively they're supposed to do to be the hero to win the day, only to discover that the evil pervades, right? So now we have to go into hiding. We have to train the next generation. Well, when you, when you have, the, and specifically when you have friendship is magic, Friendship was supposed to save the day. We were all supposed to come through unharmed. So how come all of my friends, all these heroes, how come I'm the only one left standing? That's not right. I have to remake it and show that, you know, like I have to show that this actually works. So you are you are putting genuine survivor's guilt into this narrative. Yeah, that's exactly what's been. Or rather not putting it by declaring that it's been here and we're going to name it, right? That's that's essentially what's happened. This guy, this guy's been through trauma. He's got PTSD. He actually really needs a friend, 
a real friend and he's too busy actually this this would be a legitimately good villain for a standard friendship is magic thing just a little bit darker than usual because he's actually buying into the same the same plot again his minions are going to be like his are the closest to an actual sailor moon villain you know i mean a, a sailor moon monster he's going to take people and turn them into monsters by corrupting their hearts or i should say as he thinks he's doing fixing their hearts well now you've made him a kingdom hearts villain <laughs> well i mean sailor moon they always have to actually destroy the the darkness that's uh that's right. uh, um imprisoning their hearts his villains are definitely going to be people converted into monsters mind you we are not going to be as dark as the boys with this which isn't that hard because that show and the comic both go very dark oh <laughs> yeah so third front the nice guys are the the ones who think are i i think that the, what i'm seeing is they're the ones who think that they should be the next generation of heroes it's clearly their role uh, honestly okay bulk and skull are too heroic to be this crew for all that they're a bunch of idiots they actually do um at various points stand up and try to be the heroes they don't spend a lot of time complaining that they can't be the heroes they they don't get why they're not but they keep trying as opposed to this crew who thinks it's their essentially their 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 purpose their birthright they're the obvious next crew of heroes the, the the darkest part of that is a conceit that is central to so many hero narratives you are the center of the story and to often to how people like to live their own lives you like to be the creation you'd like to be the foundational crux of your universe right mm-hmm. so if friendship is magic if i can accrue the friends the magic then yeah i am the hero but is that true is it what happens when you try but don't try, when you know but don't know entirely? I think that this crew is essentially a kind of internet help group that with really bad message. Like the, the, the equivalent of, um, uh, what are they called? Um, no podcasters were harmed in the making of this episode. No, 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 no not like that. Like uh, uh, pickup artists. Again, no podcasters were harmed in the making of this episode. Yeah. The, 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 the point is they're, they're not pickup artists. That's the, I'm just trying to point out a potential group. Ones that claim they have all the answers, and but have essentially reduced human interaction down to a... Stripped of, uh, stripped of the title nice guys or anything like this, the truth of this group of people we're talking about, these set of characters, is a focus on one-wayism. Right, we yes. have found the way to be. If these, so if this is true and that is true, then this is the way. And so, I think what they've got, what you've got, is sort of as a kind of a pyramid scheme. At the very bottom, you've got people who are signing on because they think, "Hey, this has got some solutions. I'll suddenly start getting the things I want," which is, you know, actual friends. We're not talking about people who are joining for power. We're pe- talking about people who are legitimately joining for friendship because they're they're they're, they're lonely. What if they do get mundane magic out of that? Right. They probably do, yeah. but but what you have here is that you've got these basic minions that are just regular people that have joined on because, hey, I mean, they're lonely. And then the monsters are people who've been in it a little bit longer. Again, they're still people, but the, but the message and the, the being used by the core crew is starting to warp them. This is really bad, but do you know what the support group prior to this would be called? What? Malanon. Oh, that's bad. You know, that totally could be. 
this totally could be uh, <laughs> a, a t- like a, it could have started as a self help group for reformed villains. I think so. I mean, I said that jokingly, but like, again, or you know, and, and that's another group of reformed henchmen. But I mean, not reformed like comedic monster bad guys. These were the the rank and file that that were just hired on. We don't want to be. We never signed up. Really, we thought we were doing the thing that was going to make stuff right, but it didn't. I guess. And they've moved from like one, like like all of them have previously been a part of some evil organization that they thought was doing something, you know, decent or at least were getting paid for. And now they're like, well, I, I realize oh, you, you can see them sitting around in a circle. Well, I I thought I was doing it to take power for the world, but then I realized the power was within me all along, you know, and. But the self-help problem <laughs> the, that they are doing to support is actually the, they're they're still being used. Yes, right. So the, they will get in the pyramid scheme here because you still have to, in any of those you still have to give a thing that incentivizes further behavior and investment, right? So they still are in that. I, I could see in the scene you've painted here, which again, once you've played with enough of these truths, allow yourself to follow the specific ones into a scene to let other small things emerge out of that. In this case. If all of these things are true, if someone is sitting there saying what they've just said, I can see, right, based on what you've described, that person then igniting their cigarette with a flick of their finger, conjuring butterflies, whatever that thing is. And I, I will say this. So for those of you who've seen, was it Avengers? Was It, it wasn't Endgame. It was Infinity War, right? Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of the battle with Thanos. One of the transforms somebody's attack into a swarm of fireflies. And there's just this moment of him mid-fight pausing, pausing to marvel. Not at what he's done, but just at how fantastic this site is. That's that's the kind of sublime moment I'm aiming for here, where they talk about realizing that friendship is magic, conjure up something that is truly, genuinely beautiful and weird, even if it's small. Right? It has to there has to be something, a desire here that is fulfilled or given. You know, we've accidentally changed the third front. The third front is no longer nice guys. The first front is, is is former villains who have realized that friendship really is important and they are not giving it up for anything. Sure. The second one is the, the the hero who's lost it uh, and is and is uh, uh, torn apart by the fact that fr- the, that if friendship was magic, how come I feel so terrible? The third one is the one that offered friendship as magic as a solution to a bunch of people who were down on their luck. It's the it's the promise of it used as a lure friendship is magic friendship was magic friendship as magic yes and and that lure but it's turning the whole idea of friendship on its head because they're offering friendship and it's not actually friendship you can be a wizard too addy and and so they're just and so the people who are friends they're basically creating people to be like they're helping facilitate people uh people's friendships or these kind of phony friendships um, in order to drain power from it I mean, I still like the idea of the, the the ones who are actually doing this seeing themselves as the next major heroes, but they've completely misunderstood. Right, but I think that fits within the greater truth or front, as you're describing, of friendship as magic. That's one permutation of that truth, of mm-hmm. people realizing and understanding it on some level. And this is important. A thing can be true, but that doesn't mean it is true to everybody within the story or believed to be true, right? Or that it's understood. You, you, right. you have three different forms of friendship here. And they are all probably part of some greater thing that will reveal itself and its shape that answers the why this happened, how it happens. And you don't have to go, and again, we've started this talk with mythos, right? I know for you and I, and we don't want to beat 
poor Lucas to death here, George Lucas. But for a lot of folks, they were crestfallen at the reveal of midichlorians because it took the magic out of the Force. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, the Force is magic. Oh, but, it totally is. Yeah, so you don't have to answer everything here, but all these, th- all three permutations of this unspoken greater truth do speak to a thing that can be revealed or perhaps discovered in some portion by certain people that might lead the story to where it will ultimately go. Let, let's, let's put this another way. We as authors wrote one of the rules of the world to be friendship is magic. Yes. Okay? Now, when we write that rule, that's just a statement. We can use that in any way we feel like, as long as it fits the, the theme we seem to have. But that affects the entire world. And the people within this world see not the rule. They don't see that carved into a wall anywhere, but they see its effects. They live in a world where our ideas of the different permutations of uh, friendship is magic have meet, like, like have, have a presence. And they're piecing together the clues from that and getting these variants that sound a bit like what we originally wrote. But they're not what we wrote. They're those characters' understanding of what they're seeing that is happening because of what we wrote. And if you allow yourself to follow those moments of asking what if to the why that comes from this, right? What are the characters? What are the people in the world? What are the players? What happens when something living and breathing enters the story that you have seeded or begun to give life to? Well, now we've created three things that would be great fronts in a Monster of the Week game, but now comes the second step. Now that we, we created them for a specific purpose, now we need to apply them as elements just of a setting. If you're in a different kind of game, in a different kind of story, right. how what would that force... Like, Monster of the Week doesn't demand development outside of a source... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, too much outside of a source of potential monsters. Like, it's not going to put a pressure on those groups to grow, and it's not going to put a pressure on on anyone to interact with those groups in any way other than monster hunting. Uh, it might. It depends on the, the, the characters and the, the person running it. But let's try a different style of story. To, to cap here, part of what we're doing, or have done in this episode, was to use the, the rules, the archetypes, the tools of a particular system to generate and play with, to exercise our creative minds, a premise that we could then follow we could ask the what if follow the why to now we're going to leave behind the tools we used before to see what else what other kinds of stories these truths might tell and i have one suggestion for where we could go with this another game that we've run um, and that one is masks in masks it's a game of teenage superheroes trying to find their place in the world where all the adults have very strong opinions on what these teens should be and keep trying to push them and mold them in that direction. Here you now have three different variants of friendship is magic. What are these forces going to push on the characters? And what are the characters going to try to push back? That would be one suggestion. If you've got an alternative. I like this. And again, I think it touches upon one of the other things we'll need to discuss further, the idea of point of view. By shifting what kind of story we're going to tell or how we're going to tell it, the characters through which the story is told, through which this would this seem to speak to me, right? If we're going to play mess, I see you starting. I see the story beginning with those who are taken by the fallen hero to be the next generation. And the truths that are revealed as he or she tells you who you are, how you're supposed to be. Mask is, again, a rule, a game about mature adult voices telling you 
as a youth, as an emerging hero, what you're supposed to be like versus who you think and believe you are. And it is worth noting that the way that you drive home who is an adult is the is you 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 show someone as an adult by having them act childishly. Adults are children who no longer have people telling them to stop acting like children. By shifting the kind of story we're going to tell, I suppose the genre, you could say, we find ourselves with a different beginning, with a different point of view perspective that seems to feel like a natural entry point. And this is important. The readers, the audience, the folks who are going to encounter your story for the first time, as we talk about in our earlier episodes, where to begin, part one and two, they don't know all the rules, all the truths, all the things you've discovered, you will find. You need to provide for them a simple, natural, comfortable place to enter. So when asking yourself where to begin, right, the thing, the reason that entry point came to mind of the heroes or the would-be heroes taken by this fellow, and it could even be folks who will ultimately follow one of those three truths, not his or mm-hmm. hers to begin with. You could have them with some of them over the course of this narrative, and I think it would be organic, drifting more toward the friendship as magic, some of them feeling more attuned or aligned to what the former villains have to describe about this being the recipients of this power, those who have suffered at the hands of it, and who have witnessed the the damage that believing this too strongly has done to their would-be mentor, right? Mm -hmm. Start at this one entry point and see where all the, the point of view characters fraction out from there and and i love the idea that they might also fall in with the 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 friendship and magic or uh, crowd in that that would be the group that if they did become friends with them would be the most honest and supportive but yeah, it's a big if and you could you could the other alternate starting point is you could have one person who's uh who was brought up to be a hero in one of these three factions you could have a former monster who was cast out by the friendship and magic crowd uh someone who was raised to be a hero by the friendship was magic hero and and someone who had been in the support group but was used and abused by the friendship as magic crowd in which case there's usually at some point if we're talking this goes back to in film often what you hear the idea of an inciting incident the thing that makes the story you're about to see happen that move beyond what has led to it to what it is going to or will be now. So yes, you, you could follow or begin to tease out what these three or more disparate lives are like, and then out of that find, the or ask yourself what incident or moment would be the would be the one not to unite them, but to bring them together at this one point in life. And again, that emerges out of the truths of the story. So let's play with this for a second here. Yeah. If you if you have one or more from each of these, we'll call them factions from each of these factions who all agree that friendship is magic on some level, but not the reasons for and reasons why. As far as, as, far as an ex- uh, inciting incident, it's going to come from the friendship was magic or friendship as magic crowd. The friendship and magic crowd, the ones who are truly friends, they may have some big plan, but it's a long time in the works because they don't, set, they, they, they don't risk their, their friends. So they, so they, anyone, oh, there we go. So here's your inciting incident. If you, we know at least one person is going to be character is going to be from that narrow that 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 faction, right? Mm-hmm. You could very easily begin with them enacting their admittedly quite small part of the plan, mm-hmm. and wherever it occurs, wherever it happens, is where the other two characters are will or are are at currently. I mean, if I was running this story, the way I think I'd probably do it is that the friendship as mad. I mean, the friendship and magic crowd. 
I honestly wouldn't paint them as bad guys for a while. I wouldn't make it clear that they're a terrible faction. I'd actually actually have them be one of the more on like honest and reliable supporting uh, cast for one of the characters. So that character would be a legitimate member of the group and wouldn't have made a break from them. They wouldn't necessarily welcome in his friends yet. They'd be watching him. They'd be evaluating them, that kind of thing. But, but I, I think that uh, it would be, it would be a very interesting one if he was already considered a friend of the group and they kept coming to him with a, you know, we're concerned about you because you're, you're our friend there. And there's nothing utilitarian about this group. They have a desire. They have a thing they want to do because I think there's a really stinging moment, potential there where you realize that they're doing something horrible. But if you were a true friend. <laughs> but none of it's a betrayal. In other words, I, I love the, 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 the tug at the heartstrings of, okay, I'm standing against you, you know, because I can't support what you're doing. And at the very end, like they might be in prison and it's like, but they're still friends. Because that part was always true. That that crowd among all of them, friendship was like that was never that part was never a lie. So here's what I'm saying, and this is I'll use an example from a, an older game, Dragon Age 2. There's a character, Anders, who is possessed by a spirit, and wizards, spellcasters possessed by spirits are considered monsters that should be slain because they are uncontrollable ultimately. They they turn, they go mad, they the spirit can't exist in the corporeal realm in a body and still maintain any sense of self, right? And the human body or the mortal body isn't designed to or made to handle this type of multiple soul existence. Anders is an anomaly because he seems to be fine for most of the story. I, I can see at some point to, to what you're suggesting here, Anders is possessed by a spirit of justice. All spirits embody or observe mortal behaviors and try to manifest as that so justice is the spirit of justice but when it possesses a body and gets warped by andrew's desires and feelings of revenge and confusion and frustration it becomes justice and becomes revenge it's unclear its sense of self is muddied so the last quest you have with andrews is simply called justice and the story he feeds you is this ritual he's discovered where he can finally he's found a way to separate himself from the spirit that is trapped inside him. This will free him, it will free justice. He understands this existence can't continue the way it is. It's not good for either of them. So you go on this long journey to find the ritual components, right? To separate two beings who have been a friend in a way they shouldn't be. Do you know what the ritual components are? Go for it. Saltpeter, niter. <laughs> you are oh, that's funny. Well, it gets worse. You do the quest, and he goes off to prepare for the ritual. You as the player know something god-awful is going to happen, because you're genre-savvy, one, and two, the ingredients to gunpowder. Mm -hmm. When the final confrontation comes down, when the authorities, the Templars, the Knights Templars, were who want to murder all the mages in the city to save the rest of the community, and the mages who want to not be murdered by turning into horrible monstrosities to murder the Knights, nobody's the hero here. It's a frustration with the narrative, but things go poorly. However, in the middle of this philosophical confrontation where the powers that be are trying to either push or destabilize or maintain order, you look toward the Church of the Divine, the faith that has kept this fine balance. And you realize as the bell tower erupts, as the windows, the glass, stained glass windows you've gone through, 
you've you've walked past and through so many times throughout the game, all of that just ruptures and explodes out. And you look to Anders and go, what have you done? He did, in fact, separate Anders from justice. He is neither now. Mm. And it's that kind of journey where, yes, you want to help your friend because you think what you're doing with them is going to genuinely help them. You might even think, oh, it advances my friendship. I'll get more magic. Whatever your motive is, that's up for the character, right? You might even be ugly and complicated where, yes, they genuinely do care. But, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could do more magic too? And as you finally help them too far and realize the implications of where they're going next with their actions, even if they don't entirely, or they believe it, but you don't quite, specificity is the soul of narrative. The things that impact us, that give us the pull on the heartstrings, that make us care, that make us attach ourselves to the story, those occur in the specific moments. I didn't like Anders throughout this entire story, but that quest, I sat there and went, I want to kill you. Hmm. I, I, because the divine, the she has archbishops or cardinals, the one in this community that's just died in the explosion. Over the course of the story, she is more or less your foster mother. When she, when your whole family's died, she takes you in. You, you as a character are invested, if not in the faith and the people who live and dwell in the church and aid you throughout the story to help keep the city at peace. So he has murdered part of your extended family for his own zealotry. That's where you can have these three disparate beliefs, but there comes a point, right, mm-hmm. of no return. And that point of no return emerges from the very early moments in the beginning where, yes, maybe you sitting and leaving a duffel bag in a locker somewhere is just leaving a duffel bag in a locker somewhere, and it's just the money or information or whatever that is. It's part of you helping your friends out. Yeah, I love the manipulated side of it. And I think, and I think that's what Masks does very well, is it pulls all of the characters um, in those various directions. It really gives these, these factions a chance to push, not just act evil out of a misunderstanding, but to demonstrate it by pushing people to act a certain way with them. Not all the time evil. And I think Masks, if you were going to... So here's an interesting part, too. You can shift, don't feel bound by rules, by genre, by game. If in the course of telling your story, you discover there are deeper, greater truths that resonate and define the world more strongly than what you started with, follow that. In this case, perhaps we did start with a Monster of the Week game that becomes a mass game, so that when you reach this point of the Anders-like character going, I'm not that, I didn't do that, or I'm not the monster, I'm not the zealot. You have their mentor or someone else like looking at the fallout, the shrapnel flying and fluttering down, replying, aren't you, though? Mm-hmm. We couldn't have done this without you. I and, uh, and I love the attitude of, again, the one thing that you will not end. Well, and I see, it would be really easy to write the, the, this crew, like the, the, this one faction, when they get taken down. Um, to turn on their former pupil and say, well, you betrayed us and all of that. Sure. And I think some of them might, but I think the much more compelling one is the one where they don't. The one where it's like, look, we understand you, you did what you had to do. Honestly, we knew it was a bad idea to bring you on board. You weren't going to fit in, but we wouldn't, we weren't going to give up on you either. I don't want to spoil most of the Final Fantasy VII remake because it does a lot of interesting things that I'd like to talk with you and your siblings about in greater detail, either for the show or not. But because this point comes up in the narrative, I'll mention it. 
the game originally was not great at developing character for most of the cast. No. But Tifa, one of your, your childhood friend of the, the hero Cloud, her major qualm, as you reveal quickly at the beginning that you're part of a terrorist, eco-terrorist society, she is not comfortable with the death and destruction of fallout of the more radical factor, of the more radical folks in the faction. She is never comfortable with it. She is increasingly frustrated and angry and uncertain, but these are her friends. She still wants to save them. She still wants them to survive. She still wants them to be better than they were. And even as the forces you're opposing reveal their ugliest truths, their ugliest sides, she still, throughout the course of the narrative, there's a choice, there's a very simple choice at one point, whether to go up a flight of stairs for comedic effect, I think 50 or so flights, or to ride up the elevator. If you go up the flight of stairs, it's a darkly comedic moment before the penultimate chapters of the story. If you take the easy way and go up the elevator, you have to murder some poor soldiers who try to stop you. And I like this beat, not because you have to murder soldiers, but because of Tifa's reaction afterwards. I I wish we didn't have to do this. I, was this necessary? Could we have found some other way that two more people didn't have to die? And again, we don't. These these narratives don't have to be painted in black and white. Dave and I are pulling the ifs and the, the what ifs and whys to the extremes to see what is revealed between them. But as an exercise that is useful to do. Because you can start to see what falls out, what defines itself, what is realized in the process. And on that note, I think we've got our example of a uh, mythos built. And it's interesting because it, it's a mythos and it's, there's nothing inherently supernatural about it. You're, you're already in a world of monsters, you know, that, that, that have monsters uh, in it. You know, you don't tend to think of Power Rangers monsters as being like, not usually anyway, you don't tend to think of them as being supernatural. Okay, you don't tend to think of them as being like outside of the ordinary. But you do throw out the word magic there at the very beginning. It's one of the initial words and the truth you've seeded this from. And I think part of the joy, the discovery for this can be revealing over time what magic is and what that implies if friendship is that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, yes, we can talk about friendship is world-changing magic in the big scale. The villains were defeated physically, supernaturally by it. But there might be moments, small moments of transformation inside this that can only be affected by true, sincere, and genuine belief. And to our recent episodes about the four beats of narrative, you do need to have that. You need to have the sad, the funny, the beautiful, the weird, and more than those, right? But you need to... If you want the characters to be real, if you want it to feel genuine, you have to the story to feel genuine and authentic. You have to dig deep enough into the truths of the world story, the characters. Right? You have to play exercises mm-hmm. like these. Teach yourself to become agile enough in these moments to go. Yes, we're going to have explosions. We're going to have monsters, giants, massive Michael Bay side effects, special effects, but those are not the story. The story is what happens to these characters based on what they need, want, and desire, right? And yes, you can have that moment of the friendship as magic or the friendship and magic, the former villains confronting their protégés, saying to them, no, you are the monster you have wanted to be. You affected the changes you made, and here's the price, yes, but we could not literally have done this without you. So thank you, truly, genuinely. I know this was difficult. I know this was awful, but it had to happen. You can have the friends dragging their other friend back out of this 
or shy away from it. Mm -hmm. And that act of compassion, yes, you did the wrong thing here. It was awful. It was villainous. But our friendship is greater than that. And maybe whatever that leads to next is something far different and stranger than whatever these three factions before have decided is true. Oh, yeah. Especially once you're out of Monster of the Week, it is easy to add more factions as necessary to explore this world that you accidentally created. I want to give a twist to your Monster of the Week, perhaps turning into Mass Game. There is a side set of rules I think I've shared with you in the past that can be tweaked and and added to other systems. It's called They Cried Monster, where you are the one set out to slay the monsters, to defeat the evils that challenge the world per The Witcher, per any Monster of the Week game, right? Mm -hmm. But the monsters have reasons too, and they cry monster. <laughs> On that note, I definitely have to get going. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad you were able to join us today. We will convert the rest of your friends and family soon to the Friendship and Magic Society, the Better Friends Society. Absolutely. <laughs> we're there for you. <laughs> no, no. I think it's. I, th I think you actually have two societies. It's the Better Friends Society, and then you've got the Helping Hand Society. We're here for you, yes. Oh, my goodness. That's... That's atrocious. We have to end on that note. There will be badges eventually when we figure out what they look like. But for now, I am your professional writer, strategist, and storytelling guide, Jared Zerf. And here with me tonight was... I'm David Herman, a.k.a. Remnesis of the Brothers Herman. We will see you all next time. So that's all for tonight. If you like what you hear and you want to show you as a born, you can subscribe to us at patreon.com slash... Hear me, diaries. That's with a Y. For a dollar or more. There are all kinds of rewards, including access to our online workshop and Discord. Of course, if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, or have us revise, you can write to us at my name, dot my last, and hear me, diaries. See you all next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.